2022 ACB Virtual DC Leadership Meetings will be held Saturday, March 12th through Tuesday, March 15th. Registration is $20 for ACB members and $30 for non-members. ACB members were sent a discount code via email. If you are an ACB member and did not receive the discount code, please call the Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242. Registration closes March 9. Visit acb.org for more information or register at https slash slash tinyurl.com slash 2022-DC-Leadership-Meetings. The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome in. Take my hand. Say hello to who you know and who you don't and who you can. We'll give promise to your springtime and beginnings to your ends. We'll try not to be cautious. We'll be friends. Welcome in, everyone, on Friday. Um, I've lost track of the dates already this week. February 18th. 18th. And yes, the 18th of February. My goodness, we're over halfway through yet another month. I want to welcome you all this evening. Um, we've got some uh, new people with us this evening, and I just want to say hello to all of them. And I want to, before we go any further, thank Larry Gassman for streaming us once again on a Friday night. And I want to thank Donna Browning for acting as our host this evening. And she will be letting you know how to raise your hand and mute and unmute in a little while. But first, I have two things that I wanted to say first. One is that there's been a lot of conversation on ACB Conversation. I feel like I kind of started it on the BARD 101 call last night um, regarding the whole issue of logging into BARD and the change that was made. And I just want to let you know that I've been in touch with some people and we have been absolutely assured that NLS has rolled it back to the pre-February 17th uh, arrangement so that your BARD mobile app and the BARD website are working exactly the way they have since, I think it's like 2006 when it was originally launched. And they will be they will be doing some work on it, but they will be doing some major testing before it comes out again. The uh, two-factor authentication was only for administrators, as the announcement Don Olson put out. I think there was some confusion that took place on that. There was also confusion over who could log in at once and then it would stay logged in and who had to keep logging in every time, which is what was happening to me. Um, but it looks like everything is back to the way it was. And I want to thank NLS for such a fast 
uh, remedial situation, remedying the situation. And with that, I hope that the conversation um, returns to a very friendly and upbeat group of topics on ACB conversation. Now, on with our program of this evening. I am very, very pleased to introduce any of you who don't already know Judy Dixon. I'm sure many of you do. Um, But there are some people around here who haven't been around quite as long as some of us. And so, uh, first I want to introduce Judy. I want to thank her for joining us this evening. And Judy, maybe you could just let people know a little bit about yourself. Uh, you probably have to be under age, I don't know, six. To <laughs> uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I am uh, Judy Dixon. I have worked at NLS for... Uh, I'm glad this is all working out well because I would just have to leave. But uh, I I started at NLS in 1981, and I actually retired. I retired in September of last year, 2021. But then in November, I went back half time. So I am now working at NLS again in the same job that I was there before. So I've been at NLS for 41 years. I can't be that old. My goodness. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Can I really be that old? I don't think so. No, it's not possible. You started at age six. That's I must have. I must have. Yes, I, I'm must sure have. I did. Absolutely. And I didn't realize you were back there. Yes. I'm so you, you must have had something to do with things being so I'm... successful today. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you can pass along our thanks to everyone yeah, I'm, for I am, I am getting back. that resolved. It was a surprise to us, too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Judy's, Judy has a, a collection, um, I keep calling it the Slate Museum, um, that, uh, Judy, why don't you just tell people, uh, the, uh, the numbers just boggle my mind, that there, that there have ever even been so many Slates. Designed and, plen- and developed, and there's plenty that. that I don't. There's plenty that I don't have, um, but it's. Too, I have 284 unique slates in my collection, and I actually have probably close to 600 slates because I do have some duplicates. I'm interested in trading, and I did a lot of trading years ago with other slate collectors. But uh, so it's there's a lot of different slates. I was fascinated when I started going through your website at some of them. Um, the Japanese ones especially interested me that they were so small that they, they didn't use the standard size braille. They used a couple of different smaller sizes. The standard small size Japanese braille is about two-thirds the size of ours. But I have one slate from Japan that is... Six lines of 30 cells, and it can't even cover half of a three by five card. It is actually hard. I mean, if you know what it says, you can read it, but it's pretty hard to read. It's super, probably a, a third the size of a normal cell. 
it's it's it, I wouldn't even I can't even imagine getting my fingers sore. It's fun. It's fun for labeling though, because you can if you need to make a label in a tiny place that that well you know you'll know what it is when you see it, but <laughs> it works. <laughs> That is funny. Tell us about what, what do you consider to be some of your most unusual slates? Well, I there are a lot of them that are unusual. And um, the whole collection I have divided, I, I actually have, I mean, since I work in a library and I have access to people know about cataloging, I actually talk to catalogers. How do you catalog a collection of stuff? Well, there's librarians know about these things, and there are ways to catalog collections of stuff. And you identify the features of each item that is important, and then you, it's called faceted cataloging. And so I've actually, I have a whole Excel spreadsheet of the whole collection, and for each one, they have an accession number, like when did I get it? and a catalog number and a drawer number i've i had two large cabinets built each one has 36 drawers and most of the drawers are only one inch tall but some of them are two inches and two of the drawers are three inches tall so these drawers even have braille labels on the front of them that identify from one we have cabinet A and cabinet B, and so it's it's it, they're all identified as as so every slate has a drawer number, so I can actually quickly find it if I want to look it up and I want to know about where is this this slate that's my favorite. There's a, there's some I mean it's really hard to say what's a favorite. I can I can talk about some of the most unusual ones, but I'm gonna I want to tell you about the the eight categories of slates first because this is how I think of them and then and then I'll go from there. Okay. But, so the first category is pocket slates and that's by far the largest category in the collection. There's probably over a hundred in that. Um, but it's these these are items that have that are generally smaller, 14 cells or fewer, and um, have less than you know, eight lines or so. So board slates. We all know what board slates. Those are pretty popular in the United States. It's a traditional slate with a with a board. And that's pretty straightforward. Then there's full page slates. And when I was a kid, I always wanted a full page slate. Well now there are quite a few of them and you can buy a full page slate if you wish by going to um the Braille Superstore. They sell one that's made in India that's twenty five lines of 30 cells i think it is maybe it's 28 anyway it's a nice full page and that's a nice but then we get into what i'm calling frame page slates but i made this up i made this term myself because i mean who knows what they are but they are very popular outside the united states and what they are imagine a board but the board is the back of the slate and most of them, some of them have actually pits. We'll call those pits the, the six little depressions that you would put your stylus in. But some of them have what are called furrows, which are just horizontal lines. And then on the front of the slate is 
a two-line or three-line piece that you move down. So it's kind of like a board slate, except that the front moves down and the back is the whole size of the slate. I hope that makes sense. It's, mm, if, if yeah, it doesn't, yeah. please feel free to ask. Because they're, they're, I mean, when I first saw one, I thought this is the weirdest thing I ever saw. And they have a frame around the edge. And uh, there's a lot of them. I mean, they, they're very popular in Spain and Italy. Actually, that's, that's the kind of area where, they're, where they have the most of them. But there's, there's quite a lot of them. I'm probably 20 or 30 at least. And then we have notebook slates. And um, these are, you know, slates that are permanently attached to notebooks. There's only probably seven or eight of those altogether. And upward writing slates. And I, oh, upward writing slates. They're, they're, I, I have uh, 11 or 12 of them. They are some sighted person's idea of what would work better for blind people. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's just my um, unabashed statement about what I think of upward writing slates. It is very, very difficult for a blind person to effectively use one. And that's because when we use a slate, we take the stylus and we, even if we do this quickly, we do look around in the cell with the stylus to find exactly where to press it down. And that process of looking around when the dots are pointing up, that process of looking around causes the dots to make impressions on the page that you did not intend so they just don't make and a sighted person can can look at it go straight down on the dot and you know make rather respectable looking braille and and they say oh these are great these are wonderful yeah we tested them they're fantastic and and um but they're not (laughs) i have (laughs) i have not found one that works well and i'm 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 a major non-fan of upward writing slates and then we have special slates and other devices. And this category includes a variety of slates that were created for some special purpose. I mean, labeling, card writing, check writing, playing card writing. There's all those fun. Um, I have a one from RNIB from about the, probably in the 40s or 50s, called it bookkeeping slate. And it has little columns and the space and then four columns and a space and somebody had some specific ideas of what you were going to put in those columns but it's a big board slate but it's a bookkeeping slate it even has um this category has of uh, items that were were oh uh, non non-paper um I've got a couple of different slates that are um, paperless slates. One one that I have a couple of different models of from Italy that are like the tops of ballpoint pens. And you press press it down and it pops up and you press it down and it goes down. The downside of this slate is if you want to erase it, you have to press each individual dot down to get to get it is not convenient but but cool looking anyway and and that the most recent oh let me tell you about the last category and then i'll then i'll get to the most recent slate in my collection the non-braille slates and these are slates that were created to produce tactile codes others in braille i have quite a few new york point slates and um a lot of eight dot slates 
that were created for various eight dot braille codes. Ebru, which is A B R E U, which was a Spanish code for producing a, a brew, which is a music code. Um, the Japanese have a kanji code, an eight dot code. Uh, the Austrians in the 50s and 60s had an active uh, shorthand code that was an eight dot code. So I have quite a few eight dot braille slates. And then APH just recently made an eight dot braille slate, four lines, 28 cells or so, that was 3D printed. They never actually made the slate, but they've made the 3D printing files available so you could have your own 3D printed anytime you wanted and have yourself a nice eight dot braille slate. So if anybody wants one, I'll tell you more about that. So that's that's really fun. The most recent slate in my collection is the Versus Slate, which is the um, a slate, a 20-cell, four-line slate from Korea that is a paperless slate. And I keep one right here next to me. Um, and it has a, you can just pull a stylus out of it and um, just braille on it. And, and the dots come out on the other side. And it's really... It's really very useful. I, I mean, yeah, sure. Can I open Notepad and make a note? Well, I probably could, but um, I sometimes just find it fast and convenient, and then I can just pick it up at any point and look at, like, what am I supposed to do today? And <laughs> things like that. And I, I really, I really like the slate, and I keep it. Um, it's made in Korea, and it's now being sold by AT guys. That one absolutely puzzles me. Can you explain or describe the stylus to it? Because I don't understand how it ends up coming out. Well, the stylus is don't a have complete, to write backwards with it. The stylus know? is a totally normal stylus. I mean, it, it, it you know it, it happens to be the one that comes with it, so it's not normal. But I mean, it could be. You could you could use any normal stylus, and this would work. And you braille on it in any normal you know in a completely normal way. But what happens is the dots come on the other side. So you 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 braille on it, and then you turn it over to read to read the dots, and they come up on the other side. And it has little um, uh, buttons, or you can press to erase what you've written. So even though you've written on one side from right to left, when you turn it over, it comes out left to yep, right. Exactly. Okay, that what makes more sense to me. That's what was showing me. It was like, yeah, the stylus is not special. There's nothing about it. it it's it, it's magnetic and it's very cool and it kind of sticks. They have two versions of this slate. I don't know that. I don't know if AT guys is selling the smaller one or not. There's also a, which I'm not nearly as fond of, a two-line twelve-cell version of this slate that has a lanyard. I have a I have a real bugaboo about lanyards. I don't think lanyards should be on the corners of things. I think lanyards should be in the middle. And this particular slate has a lanyard in the corner. So when we have a lanyard that's attached at the corner, it, it always hangs at a weird angle, and you have to kind of pick it up. And, and it has a stylus embedded in one side, so it's a kind of. But it's it's small. It's I don't like it as well. It's the four line twenty cell is way better. It's you know the thing that struck me about the two line one is that it sounded like something that would be good for um, 
oh, let's just say a vendor at the exhibit at, at an exhibit hall or something wanted to very quickly put and the, no, it wouldn't work for that. Never wouldn't mind. even work for a credit card number. It's That's only, what I was thinking yeah. was to was to it's put tr- or to put their their um, their email address on a business card to hand to somebody, but it wouldn't no. work for that either. No, no, it wouldn't work for that. It doesn't work for much. A phone number. It would work for for a phone number, which I must say we found the other day. But we have for years used for quick phone numbers, and uh, um, what's your name isn't on here, Lucy, but came across an abacus in the cleaning out the office recently. We always used to keep phone numbers on the abacus. Hmm. You'd have to know how to read them. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all I know to do on an abacus. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Tell me, how did you ever get stuck? What, what drew you to this, to this um, hobby? I well, think it started in, out a hobby. I think it turned into an obsession, maybe. Well, you're probably right about that. In the early 80s, somebody gave me one of these. It was called the Tyler Tatlow Slate. R&IB made it. It was 11 lines, 26 cells, and it was micro-braille. And I was just so dazzled by the idea of being able to write micro-braille. I thought, that's really interesting. And then I saw this... Aids and appliances from around the world or some such. It was just a catalog of, of organizations that made things. I thought, well, I wonder if I can get other interesting slates. So I wrote to a bunch of those organizations and said, you know, do you have slate and style? I'd be interested in the catalog. And, and several of them responded and sent catalogs and things. But about the same time, one of those letters that I wrote ended up reaching a man named Pedro Zarita. But some of you may know this name. He was a man who worked uh, for the ONCE, the Spanish Organization of the Blind. He's a, he's a lovely, wonderful blind man in Spain. And then he ended up working for some years for the World Blind Union. And that sent him traveling all over the world. And I would say probably at this point, 30 or 40 percent of, of the slates in my collection have come from Pedro getting every so often I just get a box in the mail and and <laughs> sometimes I didn't even know where he got them and uh, every country he went to he picked up some slates and so he was he is really hugely responsible for the vast quantity of slates in this collection and uh, it's it's quite was quite fun. And so it's, it just kind of grew. I remember in, in 92 or so, I wrote an article for the then Matilda Ziegler magazine called The Bumpy Road to Literacy. And I looked at that article not long ago, and at that time I had 92 slates in the collection. And so... <laughs> it just keeps growing. Obviously, yes. it doesn't. It hasn't grown much in recent years. I, I, it only grows now by maybe two or three slates a year at the most. Well, you haven't had a chance to get out and travel as much. There was a there was a lovely. Years. I'll tell you a great story. There was a lovely blind man named <coughs> David David Roniker, and he in was he lived in Texas and he was a darkroom technician but he was a slate collector and he had a lot more I had a lot more kind of modern 
readily available slates in other countries, but he had a lot more older American slates and things. And in the 80s and 90s, um, we'd write braille letters back and forth and actually trade things, you know. And he'd send me some of his and I'd send him some of mine. And we, he, he disappeared in the 90s. I didn't know where he was. And I don't remember exactly now how I found him, but I found out that somehow he was in a nursing home in Rouse's Point, New York. And I really wanted to go see him. So I was talking to Tuck Tinsley of APH. Well, that time, by that time, APH had started their museum. And, um, you know, I said, Tuck, I know where you can get a whole lot of slates. I wasn't giving him mine. I've always worried about crossing the street anywhere near him. But uh, <laughs> I, I said, I know you can get a whole lot of slates. Well, I'm not, a, a, I'm more of a shy person than people would ever imagine. So I wasn't calling him or contacting the nursing home. Tuck did. He called, he called him up. Hey, I have a slate collector that wants to come and visit your, your, your uh, resident. And oh, yeah, sure, fine, come on. So one weekend in August of 2000, Doug and I and Tuck Tinsley met in Burlington, Vermont. And Tuck drove us up to Ralph's Point, New York. It was about an hour away across Lake Champlain. Mm-hmm. And we met this man. And, and he <laughs> it was the funniest experience. He was, he was, I think he had Alzheimer's. And he told, he kept telling Tuck, what I'd really like someday is to meet Judy Dixon. He says, Tuck says, well, she's right here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and he had, he was carrying all these slates around with him and he had several. With him, we met first met him outside, and, and Tuck said, "Well, do you have more?" "Oh yes, I have lots of them." "Well, let's go have a look at them." We went into this. I can't believe the nursing home let us do this because we went into this man's room, and I mean, Tuck looked everywhere on every shelf in every drawer and said, "David, we'll make you a list of all your slates." And we spent the afternoon. Doug was in charge of counting cells and lines, and <laughs> I was in charge of writing down all the details. We spent the whole afternoon making a list, and the guy had over two hundred slates. I mean, totally unorganized, uncatalogued, unanythinged. I recognized a lot of them. Some of them, many of them, I traded with him, but a lot of them were older APH slates. And I mean, APH was very interested in getting a hold of this collection. So Tuck told me, he says, you know, you can take what you want off the top and uh, we'll, we'll take the rest. So I suggested to him, I said, you know, the, the, we can't take them now. I mean, he's still <laughs> carrying them around with him. But I said, why don't you contact the family and, you know, make them an offer, a, gener- a generous, something that they'll notice. So that the big concern I had was if somebody dies in a nursing home, they're going to just get rid of their stuff like lickety yeah. split. Exactly. So I didn't want that to happen. So anyway, he did die on September 10th, 2001. And uh, the day before 9-11. And, and, and he, um, the family, it was great. They boxed it all up and, and sent it all to APH. 
And I went down to Texas. We won't open the boxes till you get here. Well, I went down and because of 9-11, couldn't go right away. But I went down in, I think, November or so in 2001. And we unboxed, I spent a couple of days with them unboxing and sort of, oh my gosh, we had to have them cleaned. He was a heavy smoker and they were so encrusted. But anyway, I, I got 17 slates from that collection into my collection. They took all the rest. And uh, it was it was an amazing experience because it's it, the, he had a really really unique collection, and I I know of a few other people who are slate collectors, but I don't know of anybody who has. I've heard there's a guy in Estonia who has a large collection, but I've never uh, actually corresponded with him directly. Hmm. What would you say is your oldest slate? I have, I I do, I have a small collection, a small collection being like five or six slates from the 1860s in, that were made in Spain. They were, they were apparently handmade, I have no idea how, by a teacher um, who was a math teacher and they were starting to use Braille and I also have slates that, that make what was called Balu, B-A-L-L-U, which is a way of making print with dots. And there was a nine-dot code and a ten-dot code of Balu. And uh, so I have some of those that are also very, very old. And one of those could well be older than these 1860 slates from Spain. But I do have this, this several collection of slates that were made by this teacher. I have seen, I have actually brailled on a, one of Louis Braille's slates. I don't have any in my collection, but I know what they look like. Um, and I, 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 in the, when I visited Kufre and went to the museum, and they actually, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think Michael Mellor was helpful in this regard, but they did take a slate out of the, out of the case and actually let me braille on it. And uh, it was it was a, oh. it was a it was a surreal moment in my life because it was you know I, I Louis was just standing over my shoulder saying I think you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the curator was sitting and saying, "I hope you know what yeah, you're right. doing." Probably <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we do have a couple of hands raised. Good. So, would let's, you like to take a few questions? Yeah, I would love to. All right. Donna, could you uh, let people know the best ways to do all of that kind of fun things? Of course I will. All right. First, we're going to talk about raising hands. So to raise your hand from the PC, it's Alt-Y. From the Mac, it's Option-Y. From the app, uh, it's the More button. Um, And, of course, if you're on the phone, it's Star 9. Now, want to unmute, speak with us uh, from your PC. It's all day. And from the Mac, it's command shift day. From the app, it's the uh, button in the lower left-hand corner. And, of course, on your phone, star six. Thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. And um, is that me that's causing that? I'm not sure. I don't think so. No, you're fine now. Um, Arsenio. 
Arsenio, you there you are. Yeah. Good evening. Good evening. <clears throat> this is fascinating. <clears throat> so, Judy, I grew up in Portugal back in, <clears throat> I guess I'll tell my age now, but in the 50s and 60s. And I, when I learned Braille in, in elementary school, I had a, and I'm not sure if it's a, a frame slate, because I'm not sure exactly, I, I didn't quite understand your description, or a full page slate, but it's, it's a, there's a, a metal piece that has all 25 lines, and uh, if you felt the top of it, it would just be the, the, the Braille cell holes, and on the back, you could actually see the, the full cells, the 25 lines, and I don't know how many characters across but for a whole page, <clears throat> eight and a half by 11 page. And then there was a, a ruler, a metal ruler, that would slide down that looked like a pocket slate, but it really yes. looked like yeah, the that's, top that's of the, the slate. That's the kind of slate I'm calling frame page. Is that the frame page? Okay. Yeah. What is the, what is the I mean, I made page? this up. I, I, yeah. But it was a full page. It, but you slid the front part of the slate down. Yes. And yeah. sometimes there are two lines. Sometimes there's uh, three lines. I've seen both. Yeah, I think I had two lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wish I had it because I mean, with all the moves and stuff that I made, I lost it. And then it's so interesting because the other thing I was going to ask you, but you just mentioned, was the Baloo slate. Now, in, in school at that time, back in the, well, I was in school at, in the early 60s in Portugal, we all had to learn old blankets, had to learn how to write with that. Which Did you really? All of oh, us that's, hated that's, it. I that's mean, it, really interesting. We hated it because did you, we did you really put car- it. How did you make it print? Did you put carbon paper in it? No, it, it was... Uh, oh, just was, they had to read the dots. It, they had... Well, so you had to memorize the dot formation of each letter, and each yes. letter would take more than one cell, right? Oh, yeah, um, yes. And, uh, and we couldn't really read it, actually. I have a code. I I have, you could. Yeah, I have the code, actually, for it in, in several forms. So I, I don't know which... It didn't last very long, right? I mean, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yeah. So it also took a lot of space, but it just, uh, it just amazed. So which, which slate did you say that you could still get? Is that one of those that I just described? I don't, right? I don't know of anywhere to get a blue slate at this point. No, no, not that one. Not um, the other what one, I one said you could still get is a full page where it would have all of the front part of the cells and all the back part of the cells completely filled out. You don't, you don't slide anything down. And I know Braille Superstore sells one of those. It's, it's made in India. There's still quite a lot of slates made in India because they're still very, very prevalently used there. And I mean, you know, sadly slates are, APH is slowly making their, Offerings less and less and less. Oh, it's, a, it's a lost heart. I mean, kids yeah, it are not learning it, really, it, it really is. Did you ever think of um, you'd need a bigger cabinet and bigger, <laughs> higher drawers? But did you ever think about collecting some Braille writers? That would be. I actually did have a collection of Braille writers, and I got to about 35 Braille writers from many, many countries and many eras back in the 80s and 90s. And I told Tuck Tinsley, I said, you can have my collection on several conditions. 
you need to have somebody come and get them mm-hmm. and because I wasn't going to pack them up and you know I'd like them to be you know at least my name associated with them and and have some kind of identity in the in the museum so my braille writer collection is now part of the APH museum the braille writers were pretty boring um yeah. they were all very similar um there were some downward writers and upward writers and a few kind of interesting ones i i kept I kept three or four of them. Um, well, I had. I, I have a Stainsbee. In the School for the Blind, we were at, at that time in Portugal in the early 60s, we were using, uh, and I forget the name of it, but it was a German. Um, a Pict? I don't think so. I, I, I really don't remember. But yeah, I remember that you would feed the paper from the front. So when my parents immigrated to the United States in uh, 67, and then in 68, I don't know how on earth they found it, but they found a Perkins Braille writer and they sent it to me. Uh-huh. And when I got it, of course, I couldn't read the English to get the instructions and I had no clue how to put the paper in. So I told this story the other day to, to Paul, to the Revival League, when um, finally with a friend of mine cited, you know, he said, well, maybe you put the paper through here because you saw the rollers in the, in the back and all that. So we did that. And we put a, a small piece of paper. And uh, when he got to the top of the paper, the page, it stopped. And I said, what a stupid machine that you can only use this little tiny paper. You can't use a bigger paper. I didn't realize that, you know, that the machine. The, knew. The, the yes. Yeah, he knew when you get to the end. I have no idea how with the sensor. But, uh, but yeah, that was a, was a huge invention for me when I got there in high school. And I didn't have to write all my books and using a slate installer. So. Yeah, in, in my opinion, the Perkins Brailler is just so far superior to yeah. any other Braille writer that's ever been made that <laughs> it's really not even a... Including, including the ones that are being made now. <laughs> true, true enough. <laughs> but Juri, thank you so much. You thank brought you. A lot of back, brought back memories for me. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Emisio. Let me just go back up. Alice. Alice, you can unmute. You probably want to use. Hello. There you are. Hello. Thank you so much, Judy. This is truly fascinating to me, and I appreciate so much hearing all about your collection. And I recently just had such curiosity, had to order one of the versus slates and then the other. And like you, I prefer the, the larger model. The, the stylus that comes with the mini, to me, is not very comfortable to use. True, yes. And it was funny because at first I thought, I know there's a stylus here someplace, but I could not find it. And, yes. and then I finally, of course, figured out where it was at and how to push down and then slide the little device over to the right side to get the little stylus out, but it's not too comfortable. But for me as a retired teacher, I believe these are wonderful teaching tools to teach the slate. Mm -hmm. But you can use any stylus. Yes, I called AT guys and I was glad they told me that because they told me they do not sell extra style. Do you say styli? Yes, I think so. Styli, I would say. And uh, the the gentleman at AT Guys has been helpful answering all my questions. 
And um, that is indeed what he told me, that I could use any stylus with either model that I wanted. That's right. But the one that comes with the larger one is quite comfortable. Oh, it's nice. Yes, I agree. And then I I would think that uh, after a student slates on the lower line of the many, uh, or pardon me, the top line, I would have the student turn it around to avoid the reading over the buttons in the little foot, what I call footers, but they're not that, at the bottom of the slate, and then one turns it over. I think one would read more readily on the pad of the finger instead of slightly more on the tip because of the placement of the buttons for the erasing of the dots. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't like the little one as, nearly as much as the big one. I don't use it very often. Well, thank so you thank for your... Thank you so much. Mm-hmm, thank you. And area code 302 ending in, in uh, 276. You are unmuted. You're unmuted. Good evening. Good evening. Dave Trevino here. Hi, Dave. uh, I've got a couple of questions. One, is there a slate about the size of a mini book but made of metal? What's a mini book? That you know of? What's a mini book? The APH mini book slate. But it, they, they're plastic, and I I'm, I'm want to find a metal one. So what's the size of the slate? 14 cells and four lines. Yes, I a bus- think... A, I'm thinking of a business card. Uh, right. Um, I'm sure there's a, there's a company called Advanced Engineering Works in India that make mm-hmm. quite a lot of different sizes of slates, and many of the companies like MaxiAids and so forth do import those to sell here. Um, I'd have to search my database, but I'm fairly certain they have something quite about that size. And okay. uh, I, I think that, that also you could search for um, Worth Trust, W-O-R-T-H Trust. It's another. Okay. It's an organization in India that distributes slates. You, you, if you were to find one, it would almost certainly be something that would come from India. Okay. One more question. I've got. There was a guy who. Uh, uh, he, he wanted to give me his board slate, and I got the twenty-seven cell slate, but he couldn't find the board. <laughs> Where can I get a twenty-seven cell board slate board? 27 would be how press. Um, we had a lot of slates back in the day, and 27 cells were from how press, and 28 cells were from APH. So, um, yeah, I've my, got a 37 cell. Well, that's a different. Slate. That's a different animal. Um, okay. <laughs> but the 27 cell. Um, my suggestion is contact how press. They may have some thoughts for you and i can look in my my spares and see if i have i have slates without boards and boards i have more slates without boards than i do boards without slates so i suspect i don't have a board but i do have a lot of slates without boards <laughs> okay all right uh now this this uh eight dot slate that aph created the uh i assume it's a tool and die file 
could you just it's one of the it's an st stl file and okay. what you would do is download it from um aph and then you if you if you have one or you know someone who has a 3d printer you could print it if not there are plenty of um service you know CD, 3D printing, printing place. I use a place called Zometry, X O M E T R Y, where you can just upload a file and they print it and mail it to you. And I think it costs about $20 or so to have that slate printed. And then you could uh, take it to a machinist and have them. You don't have to do anything. You get the slate, you can use it. What's it made of? Plastic. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> Well, well thank, thank you very much. This has been a fascinating discussion, and uh, I, I really appreciate your uh, yeah, time and expertise. Mm -hmm. Sure, no problem. Thank you, Dave. Chris Coulter, um, let me just, before you start, let me say we have about six people with hands raised, and less than 15 minutes to go. So if anybody we'll can make it as quickly as possible, we'll, that would be great. Thank you. We'll be quick. Go for it, Chris. You are unmuted, Chris. Speak. Hello. Hello, Chris Coulter. Uh, Chris, did you do the got it button? Because if you didn't do the got it button, won't be able to speak. Speak. Yeah, to get that got it button. Uh, I hit the. I did hit the. There you, oh, there you go. We we now can hear you. We am can I, hear you now. Okay, you're hearing me now. Yes, we are. Okay, yes. quickly. When I was a little girl, I was given a slate and stylus, and um, I wasn't really interested in using it i think i was a little too young but um it was a very heavy metal slate and it had um it was just the, the a normal metal slate but the one feature it had that i i was told about and never never was able to use it very well was that when you wanted to check what you were writing, there was a window in the back of the slate ah, that yes. you could open up. And I never saw another one of those anywhere. I, sus I suspect it was a brown slate. <clears throat> I don't was know. Called, it was called a brown slate. Hmm. It was sold by APH. Mm -hmm. And um, you did. You op it, had, it was a slightly larger frame than would be necessary for a slate of that size. But you could pull back a part of the slate in the back, and you could read right. it. Yeah, and, and I I do remember that. I just never got the hang of it. <laughs> Thank yes. you. That's what it was. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Pam Coffee. Yeah. Good evening. Okay. I am finding this so fascinating, uh, and I'm just guessing that the upward writing slate that you didn't find very practical. I'm thinking maybe it was made for sighted people rather than for blind people, sighted people who needed to transcribe 
Braille and maybe they didn't have access to a Perkins uh, Braille writer or any other, you know, means of transcribing. And maybe that was what that was all about. That's possible, but I do know that several of them that have been made were actually made because it was the thought that these would be easier for blind people to use because they could write from left to right. And there have been, there was even an effort in relatively recent times, in 2009, 2010, RNIB made one that actually had little spring-loaded platforms Uh, trying to protect the pins so as you looked around you would find the right spot and then and then push down on the dot but you wouldn't actually have access to the dots directly until you did that and they worked better but it's a still it's a tedious process and i think that it's still not a great idea that's called that one is called the I think it was called the Braille King or something, Super King or something. I R and I B sold it for a while, and but the downside was they only ever made one that was for A four paper, which is a little bit narrower than ours, so it it was difficult to use for Americans. Well, that makes sense, Jane S U H. I'm not. I'm afraid I'll mispronounce it. Hi. Yes, there. Um, so there was a slate, and I don't know if this was only in Korea or not. Where the the top part of the slate like swiveled outwards, and then the bottom part it was only like two lines of um, I don't know, I forget how many cells, but was the top part was the top part two lines also? Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I, I call that a swivel slate. <laughs> That's exactly what it did. And if it's the one I'm thinking of, was it an interline slate? The slight lines were a little bit farther apart? Yeah, but it had to be because um, Korean Braille is a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. But it was so cool. I wish we could use it here. We can use it here. It, it's... Our breath's too big. To well, use. it would. It would still. You could still use it. It just would be smaller. <laughs> but um, the swivel R and I B also made a swivel slate, which I have some. I don't have a Korean swivel slate in my collection, but I have other the other Korean slates. We'll have to send you to Korea. <laughs> oh, I'm going. <laughs> I'm on my way. Thank you so much, uh, Diana Noriega. You can unmute. Okay. You can you unmute. hear me? There you yes. are. Yes, there I am. Hello. Okay. You can hear you. Um, uh, Judy, have you seen the um, Crab Braille Rider? I have. Um, we I, had 12 of them at the oh when I was in the Peace Corps because they were donated to us from the How My College in Auckland or Wellington, uh, whichever. Yeah. Um, Auckland. Because they have them in a cupboard somewhere. And since I was building a blind school and running it in Western Samoa. Um, you know, I was desperate for equipment and I gave them to my transcribers because I thought they were really hard for the kids because you have to have your elbows out 
and the keys, uh, the yes. keys are in the shape of a braille cell. So that's the only way. But your fingers are pointing toward each other. Yes, and yes. so your ring fingers are on dots one and four. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a whole mess for the kids to to try to, you know, make sense of it when you're they're looking at the braille and and having to make it. So I eventually did get some Perkins, but mostly lavenders because that was what was affordable at the time. But um, I just thought they I should have brought one home because they were only being used by my transcribers. <laughs> I can understand why you didn't want the kids to use them. RNIV yeah. actually made a Stainsby uh, similarly, and, yeah. and, and, and it was very hard to use. Yeah, and I got a bank sprayer when I was in elementary school, and it was such a pain to use because it was supposed to be portable and, and small, and it was, but it wrote a single line on these long strips. Oh. Yes, D- Terry and I were just speaking about the banks the other day, and she had a great idea. What a great device it would be these days for making for labeling. Labels. Yeah, if we had that, uh, we could get the gummed. I have a banks in my collection, but I don't have any gummed uh, material labeling material. Yeah, that'd be the problem. <laughs> so, but my fascination has always been with styluses. And oh, the only yeah. slate I'd really like to know where they make it still is the one light slate because that was great for using Dymo tape in. There are a lot of them. I don't know where you can still buy them. Um, perhaps I have a German one that's 36 cells, one line. And, um, and there's the old, you know, I don't think how press, I don't know if how press cell slates anymore, but they, they made a 25 cell one. Yeah, I I don't think mine was that big. I think it was like 14 or 16 or 18, Ooh. something like that. I'm thinking that's what ours I was, is, too. Yeah, but I lost, I lost it in all my various moves. And, you know, it was so convenient for, for using Dymo tape because um, you didn't have any wasted tape. <laughs> yeah, the Dymo slots work pretty well in a, in a you know, do, larger but slate. You, but, they, but you have wasted um, tape. You know, because of having to run it through the slot. Mm-hmm, right. And I'm very cheap. So <laughs> but um, my favorite um, stylus is, I lost one of those too. One that went on a key ring and it had a reversible point. And I don't oh, know yeah. where that came from. And I have a flat one that has a reversible point so that you've got the eraser on one side, you unscrew it, flip it around. and That, one, the point. that one came uh, from How Press. Yeah. The flat one. Um, yeah, I still have that one. I haven't managed to lose it. And I do like a, a stylus with a flat edge or something so oh, they don't do roll too. off the yes. table. Yes. yes. But one of the styluses okay. I also lost was um, the um, the one that looks like a pen. Oh, right. Yes, I have some of those too, and I don't. I hate them. <laughs> I like. I liked it because it was easy to carry in my purse, and you weren't mm. punching I holes. Lost, right. right. <laughs> I had one of those for the longest time, but the biggest thing with that was I ended up with the calluses on the side of my finger from <laughs> the, because it always was so rough on the side of it. Yeah, it was. Um, thanks so much, Deanna. Thanks, I'm really Deanna. Trying to move us along. Okay, Mary Beth. Beth. Um, Judy, I was wondering if you could just comment a little bit on Interpoint slates. Um, I've never oh. used one, but they sound like such a great idea. They are a great idea, and they actually work well. There's a number of different ways, and on my website, 
somewhere on there, I actually describe, I think there's three different ways of creating inner point. The best way are the ones that have little holes below the upper pins, and you actually create the holes that the pins will go on when you turn it over. All right. And those okay. work really well. I mean, APH used to sell these lovely uh, inner point slates that were very, very nice. And when I convinced them to not put the additional pins in the top because they they caused problems, but actually make it just the hole so you could poke them when you wanted them, that worked really mm-hmm. well. But there are other but types. now they probably don't sell them, right? I suspect not. But I, I, I should have checked to see who's still selling what. I mean, it changes a lot. But uh, they they may not be. I'll check the site. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mary Beth. Donna Brown. Hello. <clears throat> so I'm I'm wondering um, the the uh, versus slate. So like if you've got it in your purse and you you know braille somebody's phone number or whatever, it, it is it easily erased? Like is it going to no. stay until no, so it's you gonna, actually it's have gonna, to. It's going to push a button or something. Yeah, you have to actually, I mean, you can push the dots down and you wouldn't want to, you know, get it too vigorously active in your purse, but for the most part, it would stay. Yeah. Okay. Before I spent the money, I thought, well, I want to make sure I would use this. But you can push the dots down, but you'd you'd rather not. Right. It does take effort. Okay, good. (laughs) Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. And Hannah, you are our last call for this evening. Oh, am I unmuted? Yes, you are. Good evening. We can hear you. Thank you for such a wonderful presentation. Um, A few minutes ago, I believe a lady may have asked about a single line slate, where to get one. I bought one, I don't know how long ago it was, a few months ago now, from the NFB Independence Market. It's a little... Yeah, it's like that's a good that's a good lines. good source of slates yes 25 lines that hinges at the top i've never used it with dymo tape i've only used it like on paper or like thin index cards but i just thought i'd let her know that that that's out there good thank you thank you and i think yeah. that pretty much brings us unfortunately to the end of this call because We've got people who have just been everywhere um, ex- trying to get in, I think. And um, I'm sorry, my computer is acting up. There we go. All of a sudden, this whole, uh, my whole Zoom okay. screen. I think my we're Zoom okay screen with disapp- My Zoom screen disappeared, <laughs> which was not a very pleasant thing to have happen. We- we're okay um, yeah, with we are, the hands. We're, we're all set with hands. We have um, all of one minute left. So, Judy, I want to thank you so much for doing this show. Sure, no problem. Um, tonight, we, I, I think we've had so many people who have really learned an awful lot tonight from you. And I know I have. Um, I grew up, well, I, grew, I started learning bro when I was in high school. And I learned on a combination of a Perkins Braille writer and uh, I think they were called Jiffy Slate, the one that had the pins on the opposite side, which to me always seemed logical. Um, 
But that's a long time ago as well. (laughs) (laughs) Now I tend to use my embossers more than anything. (laughs) Give me my 150 and my 60 and I'm happy. Uh, But I do want to thank you very much for a wonderful, wonderful presentation this evening. We'll see you next week. Stay safe. Stay happy.